Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design with a little bit of zest. In this episode, we're going to have Nick Hodges talk about pass keys and moving away from passwords, getting into password lists, and all that fun stuff. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. What's up, everyone? My name is James Q. Quick, and I am a full-time technical content creator. And I was at a conference with Amy, who's not here today, but we were at that conference. That's the name of it. Last week at the time of recording this, I got to meet Nick Hodges from Passage and invited him on to be a guest on the podcast. So Nick, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the stream. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about your background? Sure. I appreciate being here. My name is Nick Hodges. I'm the developer advocate at Passage. I'd like to mention that we were recently acquired by 1Password, and that's been really great. Been enjoying that. We do passwordless authentication on web and mobile applications. My background is I'm a Minnesota boy who currently lives in Pennsylvania. And I've been a high school teacher, a naval officer, a consultant, a product manager. I was actually product manager at Borland for any old school folks out there who remember that late great company. And for the last, you know, few years, I, you know, all along, I was always doing conferences and attending meetups and presenting and really enjoying that. And then it was great that I figured out this developer advocate thing so I could get paid to do that, which is really, you know, just proven to be quite nice. It's really great. So glad to be here and I appreciate being on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I had actually started my career as a technical evangelist at Microsoft and then for a few different reasons, moved and switched jobs to work at FedEx as a developer and software engineer and got into architecture as well. And I realized I was missing doing the things that you just talked about, creating content and going to conferences and that sort of stuff. So I started to do it, but I was doing it in my spare time. And then I made the decision that, similar to you, I think that like, hey, I want to get paid to do this full time and have this be my job, which is why I transitioned into all zero at the time. And then a few different things leading now to content creation. Any like specific background about you joining Passage? Like, how did you find them? Was authentication and identity and that sort of stuff? Was that something you were already well, uh, interested in? Yeah, I mean, I've always hated passwords, right? <laughs> well, you know, passwords are effective in certain means, but the hassle of them, you know, never really pleased me. And even, you know, when you use a password manager, it's still suboptimal. It's still the threat vector is pretty broad for uh, even difficult passwords, even, you know, high entry passwords that a password manager creates for you. And so when I found this opportunity at Passage to, you know, take on as a mission to rid the world of passwords, I was quite eager to jump on board and find out about it and learn about it. And it's been really fun. I've been enjoyed it. It's really been cool. Yeah, that's really nice. When you already have an interest in something and then you get to find a role that actually matches that. That's part of what I talked about in my talk at that conference was... If you enjoy yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. enough, why not make that part of what you do on a daily basis? Yeah. I'm kind of curious if the average consumer that just has mm-hmm. passwords, if they think about some of the things that are difficult, because I think a lot of us, before looking at password and having used passwords for so long, it just kind of is the way it is. There's no other alternative. You just get used to it, I guess. So I think some people may not even realize some of the additional downsides to passwords. And you mentioned the threat vector. So sure. what are some of the things that stand out to you as like difficulties with passwords and then maybe getting into the security aspect of passwords as well? 
Yeah, it's an interesting sort of sociological phenomenon, right? Is that most, I shouldn't say most, many people get the training at work, you know, where they say pick complex passwords, don't repeat using passwords, you know, don't have a pattern that you do every time you change it, like password one and then change it to password two and then mm-hmm. change it to password three or Been whatever. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, throw a number in there, throw a character in there, upper, lowercase. Those all complicate a process that people, generally speaking, don't want to necessarily do. You know, like oftentimes you just want to log in, you know, or you just want to get registered. And sometimes you fight with it and things like that. And password managers, you know, like one password or some of the other ones help. And then, of course, they help you, you know, then the websites realize that getting their passwords can get their passwords compromised. So we do two-factor authentication with the one-time pass, And that requires you to pick up your phone, mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. in a number, or wait for a text that may or may not come right away. And I mean, there's just a lot of difficulty, challenge, frustration, especially with our short attention spans, right? You know, like a text that takes 10 seconds to show up, you know, like people get really mad if it takes 10 seconds for that one-time password to show up. And so the idea behind passwordless is just, I mean, I remember the first phone I got that had a fingerprint reader on it and my bank allowed me to log in with my fingerprint. And I was like, oh, this is so much better, right? I mean, it's like, oh. <laughs> especially on the phone where like, you know, I have fat fingers and I'm always fat fingering stuff, you know, and then they don't have that, let me see my password option, you know, so just touching the biometric on my phone was just a dream come true. I mean, it was like the way to go. And so realizing that a passwords have a lot of friction involved with them and the way to get around those friction is just makes you less secure to the notion of just touching something with your thumb. That's like way more secure, way easier on the end users and, you know, easy for everybody is a really attractive thing. So going back to like passwords, you kind of touched on this, like, you get the training video when you start a new job. Don't use simple passwords. Like you see requirements in websites now when you generate passwords. Yeah, must be X number point. of characters, must include a special character, must include a number and a capital letter. And typically what we do is we take the same password we've always had. We capitalize the first letter. We add a number on the end and then we add an exclamation on the end. And like hands up, people <laughs> have gone through that. So the difficulty is you want to have as complex of passwords as you can have. The mm-hmm. difficulty, though, is now if I'm creating a complex password, I have to remember that, not to mention across different sites and applications, I should create mm-hmm. unique passwords. And that's where the password unique. managers come in. And for people who haven't used these, I use LastPass. We've kind of talked behind the scenes a little bit about me maybe doing a conversion to OnePass, not just because of you, but other feedback from other people. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they basically store all of your passwords for you. So if they have a good integration with your browser. When you go to sign up for something, you can have it generate a password, save it for you, and you have one master password to remember to then go and like see all of those. But for the most part, after that, it just autofills all your passwords for you, which is really nice. So like as far as passwords go, that's definitely, if you're using passwords, that's definitely the way to go across the board. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the generating the password is really the important thing. you know, you want to, the phrase of the business, you know, the, the term of art is entropy. You want a very high entropy password. And human beings basically cannot create manually high entropy passwords in a very effective way. And so having a password generator 
do that for you is a, a very valuable thing. But then, of course, the fact that they're high entropy makes them very difficult to memorize mm -hmm. and much less type. You know, when you have to type it, you know, you look at your phone and you do three characters at a time because it's like, you know, that's all you can do. But the password manager makes that really, really easy. And of course, even with a password manager, even using effective passwords and all of that stuff, passwords remain really vulnerable. So, I sh well, you know, you can make it less vulnerable, but there's even ways that, you know, bad actors are getting around things like one-time passwords and the codes, you know, six number codes mm -hmm. and all that stuff. They're starting to beat that as well. And so that's what Passage was designed to do was to create a way to log into a website that is passwordless. And since they're passwordless, there's no vulnerability to password compromise. So, Yeah, and the vulnerability piece, one of them is you hear about passwords getting leaked from companies. So in a database, passwords ideally are not stored in plain text. They're hashed and salted. So mm -hmm. hash mm -hmm. takes one thing and then transforms it into another. And then a salt, you can do different iterations of salt, which just like completely jumbles everything up so that people right. can kind of reverse engineer passwords. Because mm -hmm. there is a potential that like passwords get leaked. They are not stored in plain text, but they could, like, I forget exactly how all the stuff works, but like rainbow tables and stuff to figure out common right. passwords, common algorithms for hashing them. And then figuring out based on what's in the database, what those passwords actually are. Right. And anything that you can do to avoid that, obviously when you mentioned, maybe we can do like one more step before we get into the, the true passwordless and pass keys, mm -hmm. the idea of two FA. So right. don't not double two factor authentication, multi-factor authentication. Multi and this is, yeah. as you said, yeah, like the, I have a password, I log into something, but it wants to confirm that it's me with something else that I either, I think it's three things I have, I know, or am you intrinsically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You want to talk about those three things and how those work? Sure. The most common one everybody's familiar with, you know, is the authenticator, like Google authenticator app that generates six digit codes for anything mm -hmm. and you scan the QR code and it remembers that. And then you got to go to your phone and type in them. And that drastically improves security. But, you know, it still, A, there's a password and B, there's, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they're trying to, they're getting away from that. Or hackers are getting into that. Into, yeah. One of the ways they actually do it is they just bombard you with messages asking for the key. And all you got to do is, you know, tap and, and forward it to them to make them stop. That's one of the ways that they've been doing it. But, you know, multi-factor, two-factor authentication is very effective. And if you're not doing it, on a website that provides it, I strongly recommend that you do. A lot of them have made that a requirement now. Like I think I've a gotten yeah, something yeah. from GitHub, yeah. for example, in the past of like, you must set up 2FA. Mm -hmm. And just as a side note, you know, the most effective two-factor authentication is the, you know, the number generator on your phone. That's most effective, a little less effective, but still better than nothing is, you know, the email or texting of a, uh, one-time password, temporary one-time password. But because of the way that the phones work, people can you know, simulate your SIM chip and get the numbers yourself if they're highly motivated. But any way to do multi-factor authentication is definitely another way to go. Do you want to talk through, maybe from there, like thinking about the codes that you get with Microsoft Authenticator, Google Authenticator, Twilio's got something, Auth0, I forget which is which. One of them has Authy. Um, so there's mm -hmm. other there's other things there, but it's an app, as you said, that you install on your phone. 
So in that sense, it represents something you have because you have that physical device with you. And so you log into a site. It will say, hey, go to your app, look at the code that's been generated and now introduce or enter that here for us to verify you. So how does that process work? How is it able to confirm that token that was generated on the phone is appropriate for logging in into the website? So, yeah, so when you take your phone and if you're going to set up two-factor authentication, generally speaking, the website will present you with a QR code that has embedded in it the information that enables the website and your phone to sync up in time so that you both know what those numbers are. And so the website can say, well, I'm expecting this number, and then the phone will provide that number, and then you type those two numbers in, and only you have that unique ID. So and that unique code. So when those two are done in the same period of time, during the same gap of time, you know, the website knows that it is indeed you that it has that device that they set up for you and you set up with them. And so it works out, it works pretty well. It is theoretically compromisable and hard, to, but that's a little harder, obviously, than just plain up straight up passwords. So compromisable in the sense of like someone else getting access to your phone? Someone else could get access to, well, actually, yeah, if they have access to your phone and they obviously can reproduce that or, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard stories of people having, you know, people peering over their shoulder at an airport. I mean, there's mm-hmm. all different kinds of things that I suppose could happen, but it is, I don't want to downplay it. It's very important to do. And I, you know, again, stress that everybody should be doing that right now if they can. Obviously, I'm, you know, i advocate for websites and mobile apps to do, you know, a passwordless web authentic based solution, but, you know, two-factor multi-factor authentication is certainly a very good way to protect yourself in most cases, many cases now. You mentioned earlier, like the send a text to yourself, which I never fully understood this, but I remember people really calling out that like texts aren't actually, maybe they're not encrypted in transit or something. So there's the ability for those things to be intercepted and then used before either maybe at the same time as when you get them and they could go and use them at the same time to get those codes. Yeah. And then somebody could send you a fake text with a wrong code. Somebody could ask you Mm. for your code and then you give it to them over text. I mean, there's any number of ways that those things can be, you know, fished, you know, the classic phishing thing. You know, I don't know exactly how this happened, but the other day I was putting something on Facebook marketplace, you know, to sell. And within a minute and a half, I had somebody going, oh, I'm interested. And then they say, but I want to make sure you are really who you are. Tell me what, you know, then they wanted to send me a code and have me, you know, send really? them back a code. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly it was, and I I looked it up on the internet, you know, I Googled that. And apparently, you know, that happens quite commonly. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that, I was thinking about it. I'm not sure how that compromises something that I know, but. I guess they're doing it for a reason. There must be some benefit in it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I'm always skeptical of stuff too, even if I don't see a direct way of how that could compromise something. But I, like one takeaway for the phishing stuff is always making sure that you're checking domain. So if you get an email from something that looks like Google or whatever, like make sure look on the actual email address. Cause usually you can tell something's slightly off. But look at the address and you can see if it's from the actual Google or whatever domain and make sure it's from the appropriate person. Yeah, the other thing I do is update your account, please. I'll mm-hmm. just go, okay, delete the email, then go to the browser. Go to, yeah. Myself and 
you know, see if you get any notifications or something pop up in the site after you're logged in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So after working at Aussie Row and kind of learning more about how some of this stuff works, it's I definitely have a different perspective on passwords and using sites and email and stuff. Not to say that I haven't gotten fooled by a phishing something or other, but yep. I yep. try not to. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Mm-hmm. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. So, so what does like true password list look like? Like what does that flow look like when you sign up for a new product or website or something and you're doing true password lists? Yeah. So the, the true password list thing, it's almost too good to be true. It, wait, no. Did I get that backwards? It is true, but it seems <laughs> too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> so basically when you register, you go to a site and you type in a unique identifier, either an email for you or a phone number. And then depending upon how you have it configured, the normal flow would be, okay, you type in an email address and then we want to make sure you have that email address. You know, the system will send you a, say a magic link, which enables in your email. And then you click on that. And then that says, oh, yep, that email address, you have that. And then it comes back and says, do you want to register this device? You touch it with your thumb or your finger or your face, whatever it is. And then you're registered. That replaces the whole flow of type in your email address, type in a password that matches this criteria that we have, and then type it in again, and then register, and then get the email, then verify who you are, that kind of thing. So the whole step can be much quicker. And you can do it with a phone number too. They'll send you a text, you click on the link and that. So then when you log in, when you come to log in, you just, uh, the system probably has remembered your unique identifier. You just touch your phone or show your face or whatever, and you're logged in. And that happens in seconds, you know. When I'm in a conference, you know, I, I have people do our demo and I claim that you can be registered and logged in in less than a minute. And I were really brave. I'd say less than 30 seconds, <laughs> but, you know, it's a very quick process and it doesn't require any passwords at all. There's no password involved at all anywhere within the system. And it's quite effective and it's nice because 100% of the people that see it like it. Nobody says to themselves, no, I don't really want to touch my thumb here. Instead, I want to type in a very complicated password. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody does that, right? Everybody loves, you know, touch the phone and you're done. Or, you know, it works with Windows Hello on your laptops or on your MacBook with the Apple system as well. So, yeah, it works great. It's almost, yeah, I, like I said, it's almost to be true because it's way more secure. I mean, it's like orders and orders of magnitude more secure. And it's much, much easier on your users. Like, that mm-hmm. sounds too good to be true, but it is. So, yeah. I think a lot of it is adoption. I think that's a big part of it. And you mentioned like nobody wants to do the other way. I didn't do my thumb for a long time, like to unlock my iPhone and stuff. Just, mm-hmm. I don't know, as if I'm like a wanted criminal and my fingerprint actually means anything, even if they did sell it to the FBI or whatever. So I think some of it's adoption and people just getting more comfortable with that sort of stuff. Some of it still is people being on older devices, like thinking about an older generation that maybe doesn't have a smartphone or they've got an older smartphone or doesn't have windows hello or whatever. So there's a few like scenarios where I think it makes sense that people haven't gone to it, but it certainly is convenient when you do have it set up, but those digital fingerprints. So like actual fingerprint or like eye recognition, whatever it is that you use to log in, Mm -hmm. those are per Mm -hmm. device, right? So like if I log into my phone, that doesn't guarantee that I'm able to log in in the browser. Correct. Yeah. Like a browser on a desktop. Browser on a desktop. Yeah. 
you know, so the whole password list system is based on a protocol that's, I think the official name is, you know, the FIDO Alliance, which stands for Fast ID Online Alliance Web Authentication Protocol, but everybody just calls it Web Authent. And the official way of that is that each device has its own unique identifier built into mm -hmm. the trusted platform module, if you will. And the key thing to remember is the the actual data of your thumbprint is, is I'll just use thumbprint because that's what I do, but, you know, is stored inside the phone, inside that TPM. And no one can break into it and nobody can conceive of it. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy enough to say, well, it'll never happen. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, somebody may figure it out, but nobody can conceive of it right now of any of a real, real effective attack vector. So the way that the systems that Apple and Google and Microsoft have set up is they actually have a system whereby they, they enable the TPM to share that pass key. They don't lock it to the device, which is a very small crack in the security module model, but then they allow that then they end to end encrypt that and put it up in the cloud. And then that it's in the cloud and then it can be shared down to other devices. Hmm. So the flow would be like you register on your phone, put your thumbprint on there, you go to your window or your iPhone. Uh, and then you go say to your uh, MacBook and sit down, type in the same identifier. The system will go, Oh, I see that you have a passkey for this site. Do you want to use it? And then you say yes. And the system will log you in the you know, Mac. Mac OS will log you in that way. Now, the challenge comes when you have, say, a MacBook Pro and an Android phone, or more probably more commonly, people have a, you know, Android phone and a Windows box, right? A Windows desktop so or a Windows laptop. So those challenges are being worked on. And the notion of sharing a passkey across ecosystems, like outside of Google into Windows kind of thing, is something that companies are working on trying to figure out how to do that. But as of right now, you can share passkeys in an end-to-end -end encrypted way, very, very safe. You know, Apple doesn't know anything about your information. It just shares it end-to-end -end encrypted in a way that's, you know, and I understand people don't want to depend on those companies perhaps, but it does work and it ends up being a really cool way to, way to make things work. I didn't know that Apple had any device-to-device -device capabilities. Because one, one of the things that's interesting with that is like on my iPhone... I guess it would be if they have the same setup because on my iPhone I do eye recognition or face recognition now mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. on my MacBook it's fingerprint and even if you did I think back when the iPhone did fingerprint and I I don't even know if I did that to be honest I think it's thumbprint right, right. it's thumb not finger so those mm -hmm. would have to you'd have to account for even if you have one input on an iPhone it may not be the same input that you would use on a MacBook correct yeah so the input itself is device specific. Your thumbprint on your phone or your fingerprint on your MacBook or whatever is device specific. And that information is very, very specific to the device, but it can be married up with a pass key to enable you to access and log into a site when the device matches the pass key that has been transferred via the cloud. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know if, I guess I haven't seen that then. I don't know that I've seen that in any of my like login through my Apple devices. Really? Okay. Well, you have to enable it. I think I'm not an uh, Apple guy. Uh, yeah. On Android I'm not Windows sure. Guy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if you have to enable it or not. That's a good question. Yeah. There's a question in the chat about YubiKeys. So that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now an additional thing that mm -hmm. 
still has that same relationship with the operating system and or with the browser, but is a physical device that you kind of leave plugged in. And as long as that thing is there and some of those have fingerprints on yes. them, then mm-hmm. you're, then you can kind of get the same benefit and not have to use, I guess that would be a solution to computers, for example, that don't support fingerprints or face scan, that sure. sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm not a YubiKey expert, but in conception, it's basically the same thing as just having a phone. Mm-hmm. But it does plug in and automate the process. Yeah, it makes it more convenient. And convenience and... Is, and secu- convenience with security is... Yes, with the security. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oftentimes, you know, so we were talking about earlier, you know, convenience with passwords is less secure, but convenience mm-hmm. with the password list system is just as secure. So that's yeah. one of the benefits, yeah. Just T mentioned using a YubiKey earlier. I actually, I had gotten a YubiKey for my last job and I had it plugged in for a while and I never used it. And I don't know, again, probably maybe like one of those adoption things. If I just, I never ever used it. And maybe that was partially because of having the fingerprint on the Mac where I was just, I was used to doing it where Mac has it anyway. So I ended up like taking it out and not using it. But again, great solution for if you don't have some of the like biometric stuff built into a physical device that you use. Yeah. A conch on YouTube is asking, or can it be multiple fingerprints and different series to unlock, like thumb first and finger? I've never heard of anything like that, like a series of that, prints. I haven't seen that, but there's no reason that could not be mm-hmm. the case. And that would be device-specific, right? The protocol, you know, the passwordless protocol doesn't care how you identify the device, identify yourself to the device. So if it mm-hmm. is a system that had three fingerprints, you had to you know, do all five, or a handprint, a palm print, eyeball, ear. Some people have said that your ears are unique enough to be able to are identify they really? I just know what I read. I don't believe everything I read on the internet, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just as a good point in the comments, she uses her MacBook closed. So she uses her MacBook in like shell mode or whatever, where you have it plugged Mm -hmm. up to your monitors, use an external keyboard. So yeah, that's, I think Martin on YouTube is commenting the same thing. Having those, like even with your MacBook closed, that's a really good point. Cause I leave mine open. I've got two monitors and then my third monitor is my actual MacBook. And I just type on the, built-in keyboard which a lot of people Uh hate the newest one is actually like it's good enough and i've never been into like the mechanical keyboard uh never gotten into it so i just i have my laptop here i've got my sensor yeah the basic yeah um so that's the great point i leave my macbook open at all times while i'm working as opposed to lots of people do exactly what she's saying of have it in clam mode, I think it's what it's called, or shell mode, yeah. clam shell mode, and then have it connected to the monitor. So that makes perfect sense. So I, I do the same with my Windows machine, my Dell. It's closed. Mm-hmm. And so Windows Hello has the alternative of a pin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not your fingerprint, but it, again, it's a, it's a number that I have in my head that never leaves my machine. So nobody can, it can't be compromised because that information never leaves my machine. So. Mm-hmm. Unless, like, going back to some of the things you mentioned earlier, somebody's looking over your shoulder in a coffee shop or something. Correct. Yeah, theoretically, that could do it. Yeah. And I guess that's, again, one of the differences between that sort of input versus the bio stuff, because nobody's mm-hmm. going to be able to replicate your finger from watching you use your finger to log in to a, to a, yeah. a site. And people had the question earlier, which I think is a natural way to take the conversation, or a natural question that people have is, mm-hmm. like, don't you... If you get kidnapped, like this is getting kind of serious, but like they could use your <laughs> finger and force you to open up your laptop or phone or whatever. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There's no denying that. Then everybody says, well, I, you know, if they're that intent on it, you know, I think the, 
a quote I've heard is uh, no password ever survived a sharp blow to the knee with a baseball bat, you know? Yeah. So if you feel confident that you can, that you're, you're not to be morbid or crazy or anything, but if you feel confident that you can resist all attempts to get them to give up, you know, your password, then so be it. And, but really ultimately it boils down to, you know, what's your threat risk, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I live in America. My threat risk is pretty low in the sense that I'm not too worried about being kidnapped. I'm not too worried about, I mean, I should worry, I suppose, about the police taking my phone. One thing I remember, you don't have to unlock your phone with your thumb. You can actually do the pattern mm-hmm. or a, a passcode number True. and they can't compel that. They can compel you to put your finger on the phone. So, oh, but, really? yeah, the, uh, well, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not giving any legal Fair advice enough, here. Yeah. But my understanding is that they can compel you to provide physical biometric stuff. Like they stuff. Biometric. Yeah. They can compel biometrics. Yeah. And again, if you know, you got to make your own decision about how much of a threat. You know, if you're a dissident in Iran, you might have a much different view of passwords and biometrics than you do if you're a developer advocate in Westchester, Pennsylvania. For me personally, my passwords are a much bigger threat to my security than my, you know, than my thumb. I'm not too worried about being kidnapped mm-hmm. and having somebody force me to put my thumb on my phone. But everybody's different, and I totally understand that yeah. some people are concerned about that. And, you know, I'm sure they should be if they are. So. Yep. Yeah. Talk to me, Gooseman, on YouTube. Comments that if people wanted to kidnap you, I think you have bigger problems to worry about, which is <laughs> absolutely. I don't think I have anything of value enough to be like targeted kidnapped i also for right. what it's worth would not withstand any torture so well no, yeah. you just have to ask me nicely <laughs> with the threat of torture and i will happily give up my password <laughs> i don't know that anything behind my password is that important i mean even my bank account right i mean i don't want my bank account cleaned out yeah. but you know i would give up my bank account password to avoid to survive a lot it, yeah. of things yeah yeah so yeah. interesting how password discussion takes a turn to <laughs> more <laughs> It, it's interesting. You know, I talk a lot about it, obviously, and everybody's always talking about, well, you know, what if they kidnap me? What if mm-hmm. they take your thumb? You know, or yep. what if, yeah. So it's different. And you see that on, like, a lot of movies have had that for years. Oh, I remember yeah. in yeah. Angels and Demons, I think it is, or one of the, one of those movies they have where they actually cut out somebody's eye to go and do the retina scan. Right. Uh, and that's been well, in movies for a while, like, probably years before they right. were actually available. Cruz in Minority Report, you know, he got that. Mm-hmm. He, had, he switched his eyes out with somebody yeah. else so that the retinal scanner at the grocery store wouldn't say, good morning, Mr. Whatever yeah. your name is, when you walk up and look at the camera. Yeah. I've heard of, I don't know that this actually happened, but I've heard of technology that would do something like have facial recognition at a grocery store, exactly like you said, and then like send you maybe potentially like coupons to your phone specifically for things that they know you've bought in the past or that you might be interested in, which is really, really interesting. Right. Yeah. Parasocial fix mentioned also having two or three factors. So it gets harder to get everything together. Interesting thing about that. The three factors are typically something, you know, something you have physical and, or something you are, which is biometrics, something that's intrinsic to you. Right. Interesting thing about any combination of those two, again, not to take like the morbid side of this, but like legitimate questions. If I have two factor enabled where I have a password and I have a fingerprint, 
again, if somebody's kidnapped me, I'm probably going to give up that password <laughs> and then they're going to be able to use the fingerprint, which I'm like no right. worse off than I was just having passwords anyway. So like in those extreme cases, having two to three factors, they probably still have access to two or three of those factors. But yeah, there's a, one, another thing that pops up all the time is there's a case where a politician held his hand up and somebody took a picture of such high resolution that they were able to reproduce oh, a graphic wow. image of his fingerprint. Wow. And, you know, okay, great. But then the, in order to compromise that, then you'd have to have his phone as well. And if they did that, you know, I mean, it's going to happen. But the flip side is if you're using password one as your password one exclamation point as your password, you are in a bad way if somebody even remotely hints or believes that that's what your password is, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, brute force attacks will break that account, right? Yep. With password one that. Oh, so very, very easily with that one. Yeah. Again, it depends on you. You know, if you feel like you've got good password hygiene and are using high entropy passwords and you feel like you, you know, your risk is minimal to have someone try and extract your password from you by coercion, then, you know, passwords are for you. My father, on the other hand, you know, 87 year old father, God bless him. If he could touch his MacBook instead of trying to remember his Apple ID password, he would be infinitely better off, Mm -hmm. you know, well, infinitely is a strong word, but he'd be much better off, right? I mean, it's a much better solution. And again, depends on what you want. Yeah. And I think that's part of, part of the good thing about all this stuff too, is just the education. Like, not telling people this is what you have to do. Like you can have your own thoughts and opinions and, uh, but also just make sure that people have the understanding of like, here's the trade-offs of different options that we have. Right. And you know, for instance, to get into our console, if you're a customer of ours, user using our, our solution to get into our console, you have to use the passwordless, you know, our passwordless solution. You know, we drink our own champagne, obviously. So we, as a company, don't have to worry about the risk of being hacked and having the, our password database revealed and then potentially have bad actors get a hold of somebody's password, get a hold of somebody's account and all the liability and all that stuff that comes along with that. Our company, pass, you know, passage.id at our website, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have, you know, so having a passwords on your personal website is a certain liability that companies, and then you have to deal with, you know, changing the password, managing the password, customer service calls for people who can't log in. Those all are drastically reduced. In addition, just, I think the number is 38% of all shopping carts on the web are abandoned because of login issues, registration and login hmm. issues. That's a lot of items Sales. that are not purchased. Yeah. Because you have to, follow a very specific password route, you know, kind of thing. Once you can tell that story in a financial way for applications and companies, it starts to hit a lot more home. There's a couple of good comments. So AJC said on Twitch, I think the real question for passwordless login is, does it make it, does it make things easier for just devs or does it also make things easier for users? As someone who always has my email open, for me, the answer is yes, but I've heard from others it's considered a hassle. I'll give like one example for me that it's specifically with logging in to Gmail on my phone is I get this thing where I get an email to view something in Google. I click the link. I'm all on my phone. I'm already logged into Gmail on my phone, but I click the link. It takes me to log in. It prompts to send an email to my email, like notification to pop up to confirm it. And then I go back and then 
I've also already entered a password. And then <laughs> at some point in the process, almost inevitably it fails. So I think some of the flows, especially with 2FA, I've definitely noticed, and I've been an advocate for that sort of stuff, obviously mm-hmm. for security yes. reasons, but there definitely have been plenty of opportunities where it has seemed much more complex to me, especially for other people that don't have the understanding of here's why we're doing it and here's the things, the security benefits that it gets us. So I think some of those flows can be more complicated. And I have been in a situation in the past where I've entered a password, done all this other stuff, and I'm like, why couldn't I just like be done at the password? Right. Uh, you know, the way I like to think of it is it's a very big improvement on the end user. The customer who comes to your site to log in and all they have to do is touch something with their finger is a much smoother, easier, and desirable system and much process and, and workflow than type the password, grab your phone, mm-hmm. look at the number, memorize it, type it in, and now you're logged in. I mean, there's context switches there. Sometimes you have to go check your email. Sometimes you have to go check your text app. Here, you come to the site, type in your unique identifier, your email or whatever, touch the button on your computer and you're in. There's no context switch. Much easier, much smoother. I, I as a user prefer that. I mean, if I have the opportunity to use biometrics on a website, I totally do, right? I mean, I don't have to remember a password. I don't have to change contexts, whatever. And as far as the developers, you know, we're in the business of making it as easy as possible on developers. And you can be up and running with our demos in 20 minutes or less, you know, and nine tenths of that demo is building the framework in Angular or Vue or whatever framework you happen to be using, right? The actual addition of our stuff is basically a adding a web component reference in your HTML. So do you want to do just a, another minute on passage specifically and what that integration looks like for developers? Sure. Yeah. If you want to try passwords or passwordless login and that you can go to passage.id https colon forward slash forward slash passage.id forward slash demo. And there you can type in your email or a phone number and that phone numbers work worldwide. We work pretty hard to make sure that basically every valid phone number works and you can be registered and logged in in less than a minute. And I'll say it might even be going quicker than that. Basically by default, if you can identify yourself uniquely with a email and your thumbprint or whatever it is that you're using to identify yourself on your phone or your laptop, you can be logged in and then registered and logged in and very, very quickly. It's a very smooth process. And our site, our demo site there, you know, explains everything that's going on and how it all works and the basics and everything like that. So the implementation of that is literally just embedding a, a web component with a single tag, you know, single HTML tag passage, you know, open bracket passage dash auth close bracket in your site. The Web component is completely customizable in terms of colors and how it's embedded and things like that. Yeah, we have examples for Angular, Vue, React, and Next.js, I think. And uh, There's a lot. Yeah. 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 A good so, you know, our, at docs.passage.id, we have a, you know, getting started demo that makes it pretty easy. Basically, all you need from us is create an application and get a unique identifier for that app ID. And you embed that in your, you know, environment variables for your app. And once you have that, then you, t- you know, can enter in an origin and a destination URL and you're up and running and very, very quickly. It's very, very easy to do. So I'd encourage everybody to give it a look, both on the code side and the demo side. 
So, you know, I appreciate the people taking a look and see what happens. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, like the idea of an older generation, maybe they don't have a more recent smartphone. Maybe they don't have a more recent mm -hmm. laptop that has these sort of things and YubiKeys, et cetera. Is that a conversation that people bring up? Like, are people ever like, oh, I'd love to do this, but I target a generation. I don't know what the appropriate example is. Like I run a site yeah. for a nursing home or something like that. Um, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Like those just, that just wouldn't be, it just wouldn't be a good fit, I imagine is. Yeah, we have a backup. The current backup is a magic email link. We call it magic links. I, I think there's a term I'm supposed to be using that isn't that, but we send you an email. Okay. And in that email has a unique link that, you know, last, it only works for 10 minutes and only works once. You click it and you're logged in. And so you can do that every time. It's, or we can send you a text as well. And that's easier than remembering a password, but you do have to go and check your email. There's, you know, mm -hmm. but that's the backup. The primary again is, is the, you know, biometric authentication. Cool. So you have that already in place. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And we're looking at adding one-time passwords as a backup as well. So we send you a code versus cool. a magic link. So. Sweet. And yeah. I don't know if the answer to this is yes or no or not, but just out of curiosity is, so you're one, you're the one developer advocate at Passage. Is there the idea that that team may grow? And just as a shout out for you, is Passage hiring? If so, we can let people know to check out any existing or open roles. Yeah. So Passage was acquired in November by 1Password. And so we are kind of a little entity inside of 1Password. And 1Password has got a big push to go passwordless, both you know in all mm -hmm. aspects of the ways that they can do it. They want to support pass keys moving between devices and things like that. If you want to find out more about that, you can go to future.onepassword.com. There's some uh, information there and you can log in with a pass key and all that fun stuff there as well. And Passage, we sort of remain a, on the development team. We're hiring, looking for new developers to expand. I think there's a careers link on our website. And if you want to get in touch with me, actually, I'd be happy to refer you. <laughs> For the referral bonus, that will work. You can get me at nick at passage.id. But we're a small startup-y type team that makes things happen pretty quickly. It's a really, really sharp bunch of people. And it's really fun to be involved with them because we're making things happen pretty quickly and moving yeah. forward. And 1Password's taken up the mantle as well. So it's worked out really well. It's been great. Good company, 1Password. Really, really yeah. enjoying it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I was really excited for you thinking about we were talking about going through acquisition from a smaller company like Passage mm -hmm. and how that must mm -hmm. be a pretty pretty exciting time, I would think financially, but also from from like having been a part of building something or like sharing about something and to have it go through acquisition is a really, really cool feeling. So yeah, I it was, really, that it was, was a, thrill. It was great. Yeah. It was a really, really good feeling. One password uh, is a great home for this technology. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. Well, I... Still another, I was talking in the chat about the infinite amount of backlog items I have. One of them is to look at <laughs> exporting out of LastPass to 1Password. So I will keep you up to date on if I make any of those changes. And I think it would make for an interesting YouTube video too, to talk about why and maybe call out the, like show the migration path and that sort of stuff. So, Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's very straightforward. And if I may, we are currently paying the rest of your LastPass the remainder of your LastPass subscription, we're accrediting you that. So, mm. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because yeah. I think I paid a year in advance. I don't know when that is up actually. So I paid sixty bucks, I think, for the year with LastPass. I can't remember how much it was, but yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. 
Cool. All right. We will go ahead and wrap up. Thanks everybody for listening and watching the episode. If you're listening in your podcatcher on your mobile device, most likely or on your computer, please leave a rating and review to help other people find the podcast as well. So that we, I say we, myself, Amy and Brad, who is our third co-host so that we can continue to do fun episodes in the future and have guests on like Nick. So please leave a review as always. We appreciate all the support and people listening in, watching in. So thanks everybody. In the meantime, that's all we got.